This episode is brought to you by freedadcourse.com. You are always one conversation away from changing your life. And the power of hello is something that I subscribe to every single day. And I'm always saying hello to new people everywhere I go. Increasing your opportunity, increasing your connection, and getting access to the solutions to the problems that you are facing, whether you're on active duty or just beginning your veteran transition, or even transitioning out for 20 years. On the other side of hello are the solutions that you're looking for. Again, head on over to freedadcourse.com. Get your five-episode audio course to create more connection, create more friendships, and get back to living the life that you're trying to design. No, I was definitely from my dad, and he always told me, you can learn everything in the world, but if you don't know the right people, no one's going to hear it. No one's going to see it. Dory 1, this is Fireteam Delta. Dad's coming home. Welcome to the Military Veteran Dad Podcast, where it is our mission to bring every dad home. I am your host, Ben Colloy. I'm a United States Marine veteran, husband, and a father. We will bring authentic conversations to inspire action in your life so we can close the gap between the dad you are today and the dad you want to be tomorrow. This is the Military Veteran Dad Podcast. Hey guys, welcome back. It is episode 132. I'm your host, Ben Colloy. If this is your first time listening to the podcast, thank you for stopping by. This episode will not disappoint. I know your time is valuable and that you'd give given an hour of your time to listen to this episode means the world to me. If you've been a longtime listener, thank you. I get messages on Instagram, email, you name it, all over the place and iTunes reviews. This podcast is having a deep impact and helping dads cross the threshold and in some cases even beyond therapy to help understand what is really possible when I actually get a chance to heal, to come home, and really just start living again. That is a message that comes through a lot from dads that are listening to this podcast. So again, thank you. If you haven't left an iTunes review, go ahead and over. Love those iTunes reviews. They help get the message out on Apple Podcasts and reach additional people. And I love reading every one of those because there are some messages in there about a wife having her husband again because he started listening to the podcast. Those are the messages that I need to keep going to know that this podcast is worthy of the work that I put into it. So I appreciate if you have a chance to go ahead and over there. Before we get into today's episode, I just want to kind of open up about a journey on the other side of kids going into school, of trying to be productive, trying to be impactful, trying to be purposeful. And part of that, I've always had a love-hate relationship with planners. Planners have been this thing that I've known about probably for five years. I've done all a bunch of different ones, and they never really stick. And so one of those panel planners that I'm working towards getting into my life on a daily basis is the Monk Manual. I'm actually going to be interviewing, we'll be having the CEO and founder of the Monk Manual on the podcast to talk about why this type of manual is different and why it works in a very unique way. And I'm already enjoying it a few weeks into the process of school starting, just finding the daily gratitude. I find that's one of the areas that I really enjoy or ways that I can give is a question on every day that it asks you. And it's just a simplistic manual that isn't meant to completely revolutionize your life, but it's meant to tie it all together in these daily, kind of almost like gift-wrapped bows of this is what your day looked like, this is how well it went, and what could we do better tomorrow. There is a special promo code that you can use VETDAD or head over to militaryveterandad.com forward slash Manual to get 10% off your purchase of the Monk Manual. So if you want to go along the journey, go ahead, check it out, militaryveterandad.com forward slash Monk Manual or use code VETDAD at checkout. 
Let's change gears a bit. Let's get started with today's episode. Leave No Man Left Behind is a way of life in the military, but we often don't hear the stories of those actions to rescue people behind enemy lines. Dr. Tony Brooks talks about this story to search for Marcus Luttrell, who was the featured in the Mark Wahlberg movie, Lone Survivor in Afghanistan. We quickly dive into being a dad and how a lot like getting a satellite map before starting a mission, the terrain is always different and the unforeseen challenges that can come with that. And how this is so relatable to fatherhood and how that terrain as a dad is so different for everyone and is always unpredictable. After enlisting in the U.S. Army in 2003 at the age of 21, Dr. Tony Brooks attended and graduated Infantry Airborne School followed by the four-week Ranger Indoctrination Program, officially checking in to 2nd Ranger Battalion in Fort Lewis, Washington. In September of 2004, he deployed to eastern Afghanistan and in April 2005 based at Bagram Airfield. His first mission was Operation Wed Wings 2. Tony subsequently deployed to the Ramadi region of Iraq in 2006 and 2007, and he is now the owner and operator of a chiropractic clinic in Washington and Texas. He was featured on Discovery Science Channel episode of Black Files Declassified, Smithsonian Air and Space article as a subject matter expert on Operation Wed Wings, and is also featured in the Backbone Dosseries. Tony and his wife have two children. We talk about their homeschooling journey and how they've wired their life and they're recently on their way to move to Montgomery, Texas. Guys, as I've set this episode up, it does not disappoint. So without further ado, let's get started with this episode. And if you want to hear my big takeaway of this episode, as always, hang on. Welcome to the podcast, Tony. Hello. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited. This interview is going to be really good because we're going to go into kind of this a narrative we all know, but we've never really explored, and that's leave no one behind, which is this military mantra of how we operate in the battlefield. And you've kind of taken it, told your own story. You've got a book now out that outlines how this story unfolded within war. So tell us a little bit about yourself. Tell us a little bit about that background and give us a little bit of some of the tidbits as we dive into this interview. Yeah. So Dr. Tony Brooks, um, I, I wrote a book called Leave No Man Behind. And where that comes from is I was a U.S. Army Ranger uh, back in 2004 through 2008. And my very first mid in the movie, The Lone Survivor, starring Mark Wahlberg. Um, he, you know, obviously that got a lot of attention. And um, I wrote the book about the rescue operation um, that's never been released. So it's out now and essentially it tells the entire story from the rescuer's perspective. When you think of telling it from a rescuer perspective, I have to think there's like some different things that most people don't think about when it comes to that side of a story. So what are some of the things that like most people might get wrong when they think about going in to rescue someone versus trying to set up a battle or what most military movies are about or like trying to win a mountain or trying to win a city? Yeah, I think um, this is like the perfect podcast to talk about it because it's exactly like parenting, right? You put the people in front of you before yourself. You still take care of yourself because you're needed to, to take care of them. But your job is to take care of the people in front of you, your kids. And on, as far as a rescue mission goes, your only objective is to bring someone else home. They are relying their lives. They're putting their lives on the line and you're the only person that can get them out of it. And I think that's very much like a a shadow or a mirror of what it is to be a, a parent. 
So my first thought was, as we were talking about the rescue part, is it like Saving Private Ryan? Or was this a little bit more different where you're going in for a different mode? Because that's like probably the most common rescue movie that people know because it's been out for almost 20 years, I feel like. Is there any correlation to that? I would say nothing like that because what we were going into, yeah, we thought it was going to be a lot of combat, but it turned out it wasn't. It was more of a, a terrain, weather, you know, out of your own head type of rescue mission where you're climbing these 9,000 foot mountains and you don't even have maps. I mean, we went out there with satellite imagery, so we had no idea what the terrain was going to look like when we got out there. Um, so it's like jumping into the unknown. It sounds familiar. It sounds like fatherhood. Like when you first become a father, same exact thing. I, I could take this book and write a, write a similar book about how to be a dad. It's like, it was, it was, I was thinking in my head, your GPS map from the satellite was kind of like the default parenting slash, uh, labor class that most new parents go through where this is exactly how it's going to be. And then you find out it's nothing like it. And then yeah, you then realize this generic advice is just that generic. It actually doesn't apply when you're on the front lines of fatherhood and someone's screaming or throwing their food in the floor. And you're like, this was not in the operating manual. No, I mean, you, you can't see the terrain with that satellite imagery. And that is a perfect example of what parenthood is like. Um, Let's talk about some of the growth that experience brought you through. How old were you in that moment? Um, that is a good question. I don't know how old I was. I think I was 22 years old. 22 um, years old. So what was some of those things that 22-year-old Dr. Tony Brooks didn't really know about himself, but man, were they carved out on that exercise? I mean, I, I, had, I didn't know anything about myself, to be honest. I, I was a still a child, um, but I grew up real quick. And the only way I grew up really quick was because of the leaders and the people around me. You know, I had, had good mentors and they really kind of showed me the ropes of this is what combat's like. This is what to expect. This is how you come home. And ultimately that's, that's everyone's job, right? Just come home. Now you hit on something that most veterans understand when we're serving, but we don't really understand the nuance of it. And I'm interested to see how you applied it or if you picked up on the nuance of it. Did you understand that the average of the people around you shape how you see and go through the world on the outside of transitioning out? Because I want to park here just for a minute, because this is information that a lot of veterans miss in the average transition. And that if you want to have more brighter transition, you need to surround yourself with brighter views and brighter ideas and higher minded people. Did you have that? Or did you kind of forget that lesson of like having the solid mentor team around you to increase the likelihood you could get through what you're getting ready to go through? Again, I, I mean, I really I had no clue what the heck I was doing. So I, but I did, I, I sought out those relationships right away. And that's kind of what led me to my profession. Um, if I didn't have the ability to go out and find those people that I trusted and people that were successful, people that were doing things that I saw myself doing, it would have been a lot harder. But um, I, I ran into I sought out those people. I had to go seek them. You know, I did, <laughs> I did Google searches. I did um, asking people and I went out and sought out those people. And I asked them, I said, Hey, can you help me through this process? And most people want to help. You just have to ask, you have to find them. Uh, with that being said, I am always a resource. If there's a veteran that's looking for that person, you can reach out to me. I'm always available. So I want to go into a couple of different things because 
there's still like, I want to illuminate this because I want to make sure every dad listening to this fully hears this. When you had this idea of Googling and actually looking out there and God forbid, say hello to someone to see if this conversation could actually change my life. I have a feeling that that was more instinctive than even just what the military taught you. Is that something that came from like your dad and how you were raised of how like life could work if you truly exercised it in this way? Yeah. I mean, my dad always told me that it's not what you know, it's who you know. And mm, there, see, I was right on the money. I was like, this, it doesn't sound, I mean, like the military enhanced it. Yeah, absolutely. It does not feel like where the seed came from. No, I was definitely from my dad. And he, he always told me, you can learn everything in the world, but if you don't know the right people, no one's going to hear it. No one's going to see it. And he was. That is some wise advice right there. I mean, that like, dad's just listen, let, let that sink in there for a second, because it's not about who you know, it's about who knows you. And no matter how smart you are, no matter how much you think you're the next Steve Jobs, if you don't know the right person, it doesn't matter. Yeah, I, I, I've, I've taken that throughout my whole life. I, I love meeting new people and hearing their stories because you never know who you're going to run into. And they may be able to help them, you may be able to help them, and they may be able to help you. Um, and like I said, most people like to help. You just have to create that opportunity. It's not going to fall on your lap. So now that we know where the advice came from, I'm interested, how did you end up in the Army using that advice? Because I imagine you used the same tool set to decide the Army was your next step for you to go. Not at all. (laughs) (laughs) You missed the chapter? (laughs) That was purely emotional charge due to 9-11. I mean, 9-11 changed my world. And my dad, actually, he didn't try to talk me out of the military, so to speak, but he definitely said, you know what? I think you need to you know, finish your first year of college and at least give it some time. Because uh, I wanted to leave right after 9-11. And he talked me out of it, thankfully. Use the rational mind, not necessarily the emotional mind. And as a parent, I could say that's definitely true. So what, <laughs> what year did you on. go in? Um, I ended up joining in 2003. Um, but 2001, obviously, end of 2001, is when I wanted to go in. So I finished out my first year of college and then enlisted at that point. Because you were still kind of like, I feel like this is where I need to go. Yeah, I, I, it was definitely a calling. It was 9-11, Pat Tillman, Black Hawk Down, all that stuff kind of hit right at the same time. And it just felt like the place I needed to be. I didn't, I mean, I didn't care about college. I was a great student going to college. I went into college with like a 3.5 Actually, it was 3.7 when I went into college. And my first semester of college, I think I was under a 2.0. And it's because I didn't care. I, I really, there was nothing there that interests me. I was bored out of my mind. So 9-11 was a blessing to me, as horrible as it was. It really changed my direction. It gave me some purpose. So now I want to ask another question, because not everybody decides to go into the Army and be a Ranger. Were you known for doing crazy hard stuff or not yet? No, I I don't. I mean, I think it probably came from my brother growing up, always telling me how cool Rangers were. Mm. (laughs) He was obsessed with them as a kid. And he he would watch the History Channel and tell me, look at what what the Rangers did in Vietnam. Look what they did in World War II. Look what they're doing here. Did he not join the army? Like he was all talking that and he followed through on it? He did. He joined and he was going on the same path I was. Actually, he joined right after I did. And he ended up 
dislocating his shoulder and tearing his labrum in the last week of basic training. And he, they discharged him, medically discharged him because he tore it so bad. So he was devastated. Um, but I think it came from him, to be honest. As you look back and reflect, I'm interested to understand, like, because I can imagine all those little tidbits of information you're trying to distill in your own kids. Is there a particular like one that kind of comes up? Cause your kids are still young. They're seven and five. So is there a particular like one where you think about that legacy of what you've done and what the military has kind of taught you that you're already starting to incubate with these small thoughts within your kids? 100%. Every, every single time I hear the words, I can't do it or it's too hard. I just look them in the eye and said, nothing's too hard. You just need a different plan and you need different resources and you need, you need different people, but it's, so it sounds like hard. mom's worst advice because that kind of stuff to a seven-year-old, I can hear my son already pushing chairs, <laughs> stacking pillows and be like, dad said, we just needed more resources and a better plan. You know what? I, created I, I encourage that. <laughs> I totally encourage them to do things like that. And I do, I do my best to not get upset when they take it a little bit too far, but you got to you got to kind of embrace that that they're they're learning how to be a human they're learning their limits and if you're always telling them no 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 that's what they're going to believe when they grow up so i i mean i i do my darndest to <laughs> to let those kids do crazy things my son will take apart anything his toys i've seen him taking those things apart pulling out electronics and i'm like oh man why did you do that i want to see how it worked I can't say no to that. I'm sorry. <laughs> you want to know a hack for that? Goodwill. <laughs> oh, that's a good hack. That's going to be like an old VS, right uh, TV, a TV, <laughs> uh, VCR, um, or garbage day. Look out for appliances getting thrown away. I, I have a friend who is an entrepreneur and he homeschools his kids. And he also uses the entrepreneur to teach his kids to really help them explore. And like the kids' ex most exciting day is garbage day. Because they look for like flat screen TVs being thrown out. The kids got a collection of transformers. Like he oh, is man. all in on just making these weird machines and figuring out like for his birthday, all he wanted to do was go to Goodwill and get some old electronics. Yeah, I, I do my best to, to tell my kids that there are very few limits to what humans can do. And just because it hasn't been done doesn't mean it can't be done. And that's what I really want. My son is like taking that. <laughs> he takes it too far all the time, but um, I truly believe that kid's going to change the world. So, and that's the the best part. This is why this is podcast exists because military dads have lived rich life, and your richness within your story and what you put in the book, and going out there like if you can gift even ten percent of that richness and depth and wisdom to your kids, that type of courage and understanding of how the world works and how to connect with different people, like the military dads know how to do, man. That's the kind of juice that the kid's going to go out there and no one's going to tell him no because he already knows on the inside, I don't need you. But most people, they need someone else to say yes or validate them or the government to give them a paycheck because they haven't figured out they can do anything on the inside out, not from the outside in. You got it. I mean, I look at my son constantly and, and I the reason I wrote my book was because of my kids. Um there are certain stories in the military. And I think anyone who's listening to this, who's in, who's been in the military has a story that they don't necessarily want their kids to know verbally. Like they don't want to sit down and tell them, 
but they would like them to know the story. And that was, this was my way to tell this horrible story to my kids. Um, the lessons that I learned and, you know, kind of what made their dad without having to sit down and, I mean, tell them about this horrible, like, I mean, I had to recover 16 dead fellow Americans. It was horrible, but this book that I wrote, they have this thing forever. Sadly. I mean, if I got hit by a train tomorrow and let's hope that doesn't happen, at least they will know that story. I mean, at least I know that something is left behind um, for them to cherish and to, to read about. There's a couple of things I want to highlight there for any dad listening that a lot of military dads struggle to articulate their story, especially when it's torn through war. But a dad not sharing his story is limiting the capacity for his kids to know who dad is. And the worst case scenario is you're at your, your kids are at your funeral, whatever that may be. Your friend shares a story about something funny that you did in your life. And your kids say, well, why didn't dad share that with me? I would have loved to have heard that from him. And the worst case scenario is when your kids first find, figure out who you are and who you were in different parts of your life after it's over. So I commend you for leaving something behind because they almost have that dad manual where what would dad do? And so they always have this place to go back and connect with those stories, with the lessons. I'm interested if your kids are 18 reading this book, what's like the big lesson that you hope they take away from that book that like, if you set it up correctly, this is the lesson they should really learn repetitively as they reread it. I, I just hope they understand how precious life is and how, how quick it can vanish. And they just live life to the fullest and they don't, they don't wait on things because they could be on the helicopter that got shot down. You know, things happen, right? So live life to the fullest and don't, don't always put things off till tomorrow. Right. You know, obviously there are things you have to plan for and things that you have to push off, but you can't do it all the time. If you do it all the time, most of those, you'll never, you'll never see those. You'll never accomplish those. So I, that's to me, that's the big one is life. Live it. Today is the only guarantee. Tomorrow is just a, a question. Yeah. I love that. There was one other thought I want to go into before we move into a different area. As a rescuer, I can imagine as a veteran, there's almost this dichotomy or oxymoron that you're actually a very difficult person to rescue for yourself on the other side of transition. Like you're, you went in there and rescued those 16 people and brought them back. At the same time, when you come back with the, the scars, the memories, the trauma, it's probably difficult to recognize of how to rescue yourself and realizing, even though you know probably your dad's advice is applying here, but at the same time, you still struggle to see that through in the right way. Yeah. I mean, the, one of the hardest things I ever did was to ask for help and say, you know, I just don't feel right. I'm having bad thoughts. I'm not sleeping. I feel like I should have been the one who died. I mean, the survivor's guilt, all that. That was the, one of the hardest points in my life was to ask for help because, you know, I'm the one to go to help people. I'm the one that's supposed to save you. Um, you know, I was an army ranger, you know, we're, we're the top of the special operations community. So just knowing that asking for help is, doesn't make you less of a man or less of a human. Um, it makes you stronger 
it gives you the ability to help more people. Because if you can't help yourself, you're not going to help anybody else ever again. Was there so a moment that like you had to almost like where you broke down where like the, what you were trying to do it alone, where you eventually just realized or someone came into your life and kind of woke you up? Or was it something you just kind of gradually came to the conclusion like this process is not working on its own? Yeah, it was just over time, you know, not sleeping well, uh, living. I was very angry, you know, road rage like you wouldn't believe. And like, really, this I'm getting so upset about this person cutting me off that I had thoughts of following them home and it wasn't going to end well. I mean, that's that's not normal. That's not no one should be having those thoughts. Um, and I think it was that specific event thinking of, I'm going to follow this guy home and I'm going to, he'll never cut anyone off again. And when that thought went through my head, I was like, Whoa, wait a minute, (laughs) this is not right. This is not working. And I, I went to my, my boss at the time and I said, you know, I, I think I need some help and I don't know what it is, but something's wrong. That was really tough. Cause that was right before I was getting out. Um, it is what it is. I mean, I, I don't, I wish there was like a catalyst to it. I just had that conscious moment of, I should not be having these thoughts. And I was hundred percent correct. You should never have those thoughts. If you're having thoughts of violence or, uh, things that aren't in in your character, then you need to ask for help. It's the bottom line. And the way you set that question up and the answer also highlights the mythology of most dads get wrong because you think like, oh, I got to be all high and mighty. I've got to be everything for my kids and I can't ask for help. There, I'm supposed to be the guy that has all the answers. And those days where you feel like you don't have the answers, this is where you rely on your dad's advice. It's not about who you know, it's about who knows you and bringing in the right advice when you need it. And this is why I surround myself with other dads because I don't have all the answers and there are bad days. And you need to be able to share that load. And the thing that we get wrong in the military and even as veterans on the other side is that millennia, we survived in tribes. We always had people ahead of us. We always had people behind us. We forgot that basic core ethos to how men work. And even in the military, like it's okay to ask someone ahead of you or behind you about maybe your job. But when it comes to life, no one talks about their life within the military. There's kind of this like two-folded surface where we can talk about work at work, but we can't talk about I'm having a problem at home. Or the only time you can't talk about it until you've already lost it, you've already punched your wife, and now you're getting arrested, and now it's open to everybody. Well, now we can talk about it. But no, that's not how it needs to work. It needs to be an open space right from the very beginning. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of veterans do struggle with sharing their personal lives when they're um, both in service and when they get out, actually. Um, I've, I've had friends that have had horrible situations that they've lived through and we didn't find out till after. And I mean, there were signs that I probably should have seen, but, um, you can't, you can't rely on other people to, to read between the lines. You got to just come out and say, Hey, I'm having issues with this. What would you do? And if you have anyone in your circle, that that's a great tool. I mean, it takes a village, right? We all know this. We've heard it a million times, but it does. It takes a village. Problem is most people see it as a joke, but it's actually the way the life works. Like there's times where I just operate on a natural, like, yes, if there's people around me and my kids need help, someone's gonna step in and help them. If I'm doing whatever or for at the park, like 
it almost always is the case. Like someone always steps in, like helps my kids up or something and they fall if I'm taking care of the other ones. Like I have this natural mindset that yes, people are out there. We're all doing this together, even the neighborhood. It's the same kind of idea, but often we don't go in with life with that mindset. And the more that you self-isolate, the more those thoughts get louder. And that's when you come to those conclusions where your family is better without you and you pull the trigger and that's not how life's supposed to work. No, no, they're never better off without you. That That's like, I, I hear that and I've heard it and they're never better off. Everything is harder without you. So yeah, ask for help. It's really, it's one of the hardest things you'll ever do. But when you look back, you're like, that was so ridiculous that it was so hard for me to ask for help. And I mean, I know veterans that share their story like on a YouTube video for the first time and they're like maybe going public with it. Like there's so much anxiety when they do that that they just want to throw up at the end of it. Like it's a real feeling, but no, when you cross over to the other side, like the barriers come down, you feel like that that weights off your chest. And like almost like the heavens open up a little bit because you don't have that darkness surrounding your thoughts and you're not trying to fight to keep that darkness in the closet where so no one can see it that your guy's struggling, even though everybody knows you're struggling, but you they don't know that you know. And it's like this whole dichotomy that goes in there. And I agree. And hello is one of those most underrated words in the human language, but man, can it like open up doors, expand your consciousness to getting help and understanding different ways in what you did. Like you learned that you wanted to be a chiropractor on the other side. Like that's not something that you just come out of TAPS course with, like, I'm going to be a chiropractor today. You used it and you explored more of the world and you realized this is where I want to go. Yeah. I mean, I knew I wanted to help people when I got out of the military. I knew that was ultimately where I wanted to be. I had no clue. I thought it was medicine, you know, like traditional medicine or Western medicine, you could call it. And I thought that was it. Um, until I had this horrible, horrible back pain that I could not get rid of. I went to every doctor that you can imagine, surgeons, physical therapists, and it was not, it was getting worse. It just kept getting worse. Um, it, w- it wasn't until my wife forced me <laughs> against my will to go to a chiropractor because, you know, I was too stubborn to say, oh, I should try this. Um, so I ended up in a chiropractor's office and He's the guy that helped me out of my back pain. And almost instantly, that experience was like, oh, wait a minute. It seems like kind of a cool job. I mean, no one's going to die in their office. <laughs> so it's not, can't be that stressful. Um, and they're helping people every day. I mean, look how much he helped me. So that's how kind of I, I found my profession. As simple as one of those that people just accept too. Like, so you can kind of like, rewrite someone's entire belief about what this pain means in their life and actually make it go away. Yeah. If anyone's ever had back pain, they know that it is, it can not ruin your day, but it can ruin your whole month. It could ruin everything you do, work, play, sleep. I mean, you name it, (laughs) it's ruined. So yeah, I, I, I love working on people and helping people. So let's go check out a different area where we were talking before we hit record that you've through extreme dedication and committedness, you've been able to kind of incorporate a, a healthy mindset of connection with food with your kids. So tell us a little bit about that and maybe some of the genesis and like how, what some of the hard hurdles that maybe you've had to overcome that you could shortcut some of the learning out there that there's another dad out there trying to incorporate nutrition and healthy eating into their kids' habit as well. Yeah, I know. You know, we've all, 
So what was that age that you did it with your son? Uh, he was, so it was vegetables basically from 10 months, nine to 10 months until year and a half, really when we started introducing fruits and he had, I mean, he had the taste of fruits before, but he never really ate them until about a year and a half. What about candy? When did you add those in? The oh, candy. Um, I don't think he had candy until gosh three or four years old. I mean, we don't have candy in our house. I don't eat candy. My wife doesn't eat candy. So it's a little bit easier. Mm-hmm. Um, treats to us were always, is always a fruit. And we made it that way. We made it sound exciting. Like, all right, what are we going to have today? We're going to have an apple. We're going to have strawberries. And looking back as in my childhood, that's like, a, it's laughable because I would have been like, where's the candy? <laughs> but he'd never been exposed to it. So that was wasn't even having kids, something that, that like made you double down on having a more nutritious lifestyle. Absolutely. Yeah. We changed everything. We changed our diet. We changed our lifestyle. We stopped buying. We, we don't buy processed foods. We have like three or four different processed foods in our house and we eat basically a whole food diet. So if it doesn't, if it can't die, we won't, we, we tell our kids if it can't die, it's not food. And that's carried on. Even my four-year-old will pick something up and be like, can this die? <laughs> she no, doesn't know die. Yet. <laughs> yeah. She doesn't know. Let's um, go to some of the battle areas where that's going to, what about vacations? How do you tackle that on vacation? Cause that's like no man's land for nutrition. It is. It really is. It's not easy. And often we will, we don't stay in hotels. Uh, it's harder with kids, at least in our experience, our kids are super needy when it comes to sleep. So we always stay in an Airbnb and we go to the grocery stores of one of the first things we do. So that's, that's one way is, you know, at least eat a couple meals in your Airbnb, wherever you're at and try to eat out less. I mean, obviously you're on vacation, so you don't want to be cooking the whole time, but we, we always make it a point that you have to have a vegetable at every meal. So it's never as good. No, I'm not going to even lie. Yeah. Vacation. So would it also be to say that your kids haven't had McDonald's or have they cracked that frontier? They've never actually, they, they've been to McDonald's. <laughs> oh man, I'm going to be banned from this place now that I'm saying this. So <laughs> we go to McDonald's so they can play on the toys. <laughs> and dad buys a coffee. Dad buys a coffee and sits and drinks his coffee so the kids can play, but they've never had McDonald's. So they, they don't know, even know what the food tastes like. And I know most parents are like, I can't believe you've never given your kids McDonald's. Um, they've had some fast food, but it's maybe three or four times in their life. And it's like on a road trip when we don't have a choice in a small town. You had mentioned before recording that you homeschool your kids as well. And I'm wondering, do you? because I can imagine like a lot of where I feel like the McDonald's kicks in is it's not like parents give up. It's the peer pressure from there's only so many places where we can control our kids. Like at school, they're just going to eat the school lunches or they're around as kids, like that whole environment. So I can imagine that having it be within the controlled environment at home has kind of created more of the boundary. Was that something in your mindset as well? Like you want to be able to curate the experience of how your kids have these relationships with food and stuff? Not necessarily with the food front, but you know, it did, it did come up actually. He, he went to kindergarten in person. And 
he came home and he goes, mom and dad, what's McDonald's? <laughs> so, I mean, that Pork was cupcakes was and birthdays. Win. That would be another crowd ender. <laughs> no, my son, uh, he, he, <laughs> He's even more picky, I think, than than I am. Like we go to a party and sometimes I'll be like, Yeah, you can have some of that. He's like, Dad, that's not healthy food. I can't have that. Or he one thing he's learned that we're not a big fan of is food dyes. You know, in Europe, they ban most food dyes that we use here in the United States. And it's in everything. So one thing that I was we've always taught him is, yeah, if you can avoid it, don't eat those. Well, he's never had food dyes because he's he won't eat it now that his European friends have told him, Oh, we don't have that in Europe. <laughs> it's kind of so, like chicken eggs is another weird one from Europe. Like we're the only country in the world that refrigerates our eggs. The rest of the country, just put, the rest of the world just keeps them on the counter. Like it's kind of mind blowing when you're first like chicken eggs is something we all know about, but yet there's this weird, we rinse them here in the United States, which requires you to refrigerate them. And the rest of the world doesn't. Yeah. There's a, there's a lot of things that we do that are weird, but yeah, chicken eggs is one of them food dyes and additives like Europe has banned half of the stuff that is in all of our foods. So it's, it's crazy. I mean, who's right. I don't know, but I would like to believe that something that's created in a lab to make something look pretty is probably not healthy. They're not really testing it for health. They're testing. Does this kill for someone? Oh, it doesn't kill them. Then it's okay. Does it psychologically <laughs> increase sales? Yes. Yes, keep, yeah, that, that's keep all. that Cheeto dust on those Cheetos. They so uh, that's a good topic, actually. I found Cheetos with none of the dyes. They actually make it now. <laughs> is there what is that? What is it labeled that? Or what is it brand? I think it's called Simply Cheetos. It's actually Cheetos. Interesting. You know, I yeah. I was just having this conversation because I always get really worried when a brand that you've had forever changes it and throws like a simply on it or a natural and Johnsonville Brock's bratwurst is a Wisconsin staple here. I've had them all my life and I was at the grocery store this year and now they have natural Johnsonville brats. And I'm like, what was the old, what was like, it just creates this, it's like, like this uh, version in your head. Like what was the old one? And how bad was it that this now natural version is something that you're marketing? You know, that's actually a good topic to talk about because the term natural or simply or, yeah, it's almost everywhere now. They're just rebranding simply ketchup. It doesn't really mean anything. I mean, the, the term natural has been so overused. They just throw it on everything now. So I wouldn't look for the term natural. I would look for, you know, organic. I would look for, you know, look at the label. And if I can read all these things, it's probably okay. But if you read the label and like, what the heck is that? That's probably, you know, I would say, a majority of the time, probably not a good thing you want to put into your body. <laughs> and that's why we've trained our kids is to look at labels and they do that. I mean, they, they will pick something out. Like if we buy something that's processed at the grocery store, they'll grab it off the shelf and pretend to read it, which is really hilarious, by the way. <laughs> and and my, they'll point to it and be like, oh, you can't have that. Until like, they can says, read. That's the real crazy part when yeah. they start reading things and you have to keep up and they answer the questions about what the stuff they're reading. Like that's an entirely new frontier that you haven't gotten yeah. into yet. Yeah. My son can read really well, but my daughter, she'll just point at something and tell me, you can't have that. And I said, it says cheese. <laughs> so we can have that. It's okay. <laughs> yeah. There was something else you were telling me about before we hit record about how you have essentially kind of like a daddy only Thursday. Tell us about the genesis of what made you want to dedicate the whole day on Thursday to just be dead. 
Yeah. So when I started my clinic uh, out here in Washington, I basically said, okay, this is how much money we have to make because I'm the only income earner in the house. And what am I going to sacrifice if I want not to work six or seven days a week? It's very expensive to live in the Northwest if you've you've never been out here. But um, one of the things that I told my wife is, you know, I don't want to miss my kid's childhood because I'm working all the time. So we found ways to reduce our budget so that I could take Thursdays off forever. Like I do not work on Thursdays. Thursdays are my days. It's just me and the kids. And that's probably been one of the most valuable things I've learned as being a business owner. I don't know how many business owners listen to this, but I would say, yeah, you have to make, it's not all about income. It's not all about revenue. You got to have that balance and set your boundaries. Thursday is my kid's day, not my day. And they love it. They always ask, today's Thursday? What are we going to do, dad? And we always do something fun, whether it's going to a new park or, you know, riding bikes, whatever. It doesn't matter what it is. It's just, they know that that's their day. What's your favorite dad hack on Thursday when you're like out of ideas and you're like, what's your go-to number one thing that always gets them fired up and excited, even though it's probably the simplest thing you do all day? Um, You know, one of the, I mean, one of the easiest ones is find a new park. Google search and find a park we haven't been to. I guarantee you there's a billion parks around you. You've never seen. (laughs) I can't, I can't go to enough parks. Like I've done this probably once a month for the past seven years and I still haven't been to all the parks. So that's always fun. They love that. They absolutely love it. Find a new park on Thursday. (laughs) Something we did early on was uh, we would go mall walking which was really just going before the mall opened on the weekends and just walking around and the kids would run a little bit. And it was just this, like, it was literally the, like, and it was the first thing they missed when Corona closed, when locked everything down was dad, can we go mall walking? I'm like, no, Corona's closed the mall. Dad, can we go mall walking? Like it's literally this thing that kept repeating over and over. And all it was, was yeah. walking around the mall. Yeah. It's the simple things with them. They don't, they don't need that much. You don't need to take them to the amusement park. I mean, literally the, the neighborhood park is enough. They just want to be with you and we want you to be present. Um, it's, it's always fun to take them in a new park because it's like, wow, you've seen that slide 50 times, but it's the coolest slide ever, dad. <laughs> yeah. Or there's the excitement of, I've learned also that you can attach adventure to really any activity and make it Disney. Um, and a good example of that is scooters adventures that I've talked about a couple of times where we just have some razor scooters we find a paved path and we go park next, like near a park, maybe is a mile away. And we raise your scooter to the park. And it's like, they went to Disney world. There's usually like a stream next to it or something or something they can investigate. And they're hopping off their scooters really quick. And it's just like them being in their environment. And like that is literally just as excited for Disney world because it's just them exploring who they are and that their imagination is just completely expanded in that moment. And adventure, something about the word adventure is wired into our soul of getting excited as well. Yeah, right right before I sat down for this podcast, we we went on a scooter walk. <laughs> so we did the same thing. We actually just, I mean, I came in from that walk right to this podcast. So um we we went around the block. It wasn't even it wasn't even called a scooter walk or do they call it a yeah, scooter adventure? Scooter walk. They get so excited, they go run and grab their scooters and um we went around the block. But that was uh, probably the highlight of their day, other than maybe 
I made a water slide. I put a, put the hose on the slide. So they love that too. There was uh, maybe when my son was like four, the, our subdivision was new and there would be a bunch of excavators parked everywhere. And we were going on a walk. And I remember like stepping into his imagination. I was like, careful, Dylan. We're going through the land of small rocks, which was just a sidewalk that was broken and just gravel. And then a couple of times we would, there would be like the excavator. And I was like, Dylan, look, there's a cat in the wild. And like, even though I just said the word cat in the back for caterpillar, but it was an excavator. He just got all excited because it was just kind of like expanding their imagination. And I always tell dads, like, take whatever little tiny thought that they have, blow it up like a balloon. And that's how you can be a cool dad. Like, it doesn't take a lot. It just takes you expanding with their little thoughts and making really big and cool. And to you, it's easy. It usually doesn't take much, but to them, like it's, it's the world. Yeah, we did a, we did a, during coronavirus, because obviously nothing was happening, right? We would go on walks in the neighborhood and our neighborhood, I don't know if you did this in your neighborhood or not, but going on a bear hunt, I don't know if you heard of this, people were putting stuffed animal bears in their windows and you had to go find them all in the neighborhood. We didn't do a bear hunt. We just had hearts on the windows. Okay. So that wasn't really that exciting to go finding either, but a bear (laughs) hunt would have been definitely uh, interesting. It was very fun. The kids were always excited to see new bears in the neighborhood windows. So that was the highlight of 2020. There you go. In a nutshell. So let's go into a question because I can imagine every Thursday as you go into this world with them, what is something that you've learned about yourself kind of going fully in dad mode? Because a lot of dad mode scares the hell out of a veteran. So I'm interested. Every time you go into dad mode, you fall into like entering their world like what's kind of the surface of like really more of who you are? Cause I think a lot of that day probably illuminates of like, there's a lot more of Tony Brooks than I give myself credit for. You know, I, I had to teach myself to basically surrender on Thursday. Mm, surrender uh, to, the, to the imagination, no checking email, no social media, none of that. So I had to be present because there were times when it, I'd be doing something else you know, on my phone. I'd be sending an email to somebody it's like, might as well be at work. Like you're, you're not really here. So I would say that that Thursday really taught me to be present. Um, there's nothing more important to them than you. <laughs> and it's not the toys. It's not where they are. It's literally dad's attention. And that was hard for me at first to like, just give, I mean, I give my time to patients all day, every day. But for whatever reason, it was really hard to surrender my time to my kids. Um, so I had, to, I had to teach myself that, hey, th- this is all they need. They don't care if <laughs> you're not working and not making money. They, they just want your attention. I fully feel that every day because yeah. they're always trying to get my attention while I'm trying to do something or just try to figure exactly. out and balance it. And it's that simple attention. And sometimes you just have to lean in and break up what you're doing. And other times you've got to put that boundary in place. But it's even just knowing what they're really looking for. And probably what I think a lot of military dads miss the cue on. Like a lot of times what they're the hot fire they bring you isn't really the hot fire they want you to address. It's the present. They're feeling like they need someone in their life to help like just connect with them and ground them. And it's just this hot fire. And most dads will interact with a hot fire, either with a hot temper, but it's really, they want you just to take a break, go do something with them. And you can, you can change your kid's world in as little as 10 minutes. So sometimes it's yes. that, just that switch of like this, what's in front of me right now really isn't the real issue. It's most likely an underlying problem, which is probably a deficit in their time. Yeah. And it's sometimes, you know, I'll catch myself 
thinking about other things. So yeah, I'm present. I'm not on my phone, but I'm thinking about something else. They know it. <laughs> they, you, you, they might not tell you or come out and say that they know it, but when they start acting up, that's kind of a clue. Like they know you're not present. Yeah, I get that. And if, and actually this episode is kind of already kind of percolating in my head because I've known several dads that do like a daddy Saturday, but because like my world is so flexible, I never really created rigidity to it of like sacrificing a day. If anything, it's usually like sporadic throughout all seven days almost sometimes. And so I feel like maybe there's probably a chance to save it for this summer as well, a little bit, but maybe just making that more intentional next summer, like no matter what next summer looks like, making sure that there's always that one day on the calendar that is focused on them. And it's something they can look forward to. It's something that you can even say, daddy's doing this, but we're going to do something on that day. So it's even something that you can deflect and say, like, we're not going to do it today, but on this day we can. And it gives you a way to just kind of redirect with maybe what's coming at you. So I really appreciate you sharing that information because that information isn't something often dads, maybe we think about, but we don't often like fully step into the thought, but it's definitely a thought that I think we all need to really step fully into. Yeah. It's like I said, it's the best move I ever made was taking Thursdays and giving it to my kids. Um, it's just me and them. My, you know, my wife is at work that day. So it's 100% me. Um, it's taught me to be a better dad for sure. And there is something that I can imagine that you're just getting started with, but as your kids get older, this daddy's Thursday is really going to be this place for you to get tested on the small things. Cause what I've learned in parenting is kids are always testing you on the small things. And what you don't learn until it's too late is that those little tests, either you pass or failed. And then when they have something big, they're either going to bring it to you or they're going to know how you're already reacting. <laughs> and so having that safe place of being able to talk about something, or especially like when your seven-year-old gets in like nine or 10, like there's going to be just issues in the school, well, maybe not in the school playground, but maybe just within his community and trying to figure out life. Like he just starts to understand more because he won't have that school playground component. But there's just so much more life questions at like nine to 10. And even having that place on, on Thursday to talk about it is really setting you up. And I'm early in the incubator. So I'm, I think this isn't the right trajectory. But like when they're in the teenage stage and they got into a wreck or they need you to come pick you up because this party isn't what they expected or I feel, and I mean, I've gotten to a bad spot. You want them to make sure that you feel safe. And what we're talking about is a simple daddy Thursday. But what we're really talking about is creating space for the big things that we don't even know yet to come. And we want to make sure that we're the safest place they feel, not something that they want to avoid. I don't know if you connected that or not, but that's kind of like where I, these little things like this is where I feel like the big idea is coming is when the teenage years hit, that's really where we're going to see the fruits and seeds of all the labor of sowing the, the seeds in the soil for years at a time come to fruition. Yeah, no, I 100% agree with that because they, they, they speak to me differently when mom's not present. And that's another thing is my wife, you know, she's now because of coronavirus and she's probably going to be like this forever now is she, re she works remotely. Um, but on Thursdays is her day to go into the office and it's therapeutic for her too. So to be away from the kids for a full day when she normally is not. And so it's, I think it's healthy for everyone, to be honest, the weekends are great, but in the middle of the week is different. 
And in the weekends, I'd imagine you just kind of shift for family time where it's something we do all together. Correct. Yep. What is that one piece of advice that every dad needs to make sure they understand from the wisdom that is your life so far? Every kid is different. And no matter what advice you hear from me, from you know this podcast, from anyone else, it's merely the satellite imagery, like we talked about in my book. It is not the terrain. You give an idea, but you're not going to know it all, and you never will. So dads out there, if you think, you know, gosh, what am I doing wrong? You're not doing anything wrong. You're just being a dad. Being a dad is being adaptable and learning from your mistakes and not repeating them. It's a wild ride. So don't ever think that you're doing it wrong. You might be able to do it differently, but man, there's a million ways to to raise children. Just love on them. That's the number one predictor of a a successful grown adult is how much did they feel just they were just loved by their parents growing up. And I love that you went back to the analogy for the satellite imagery because I was even expanding it more within the context of parenting that podcasts and books and all the other conversations of someone talking about being a dad, all of those are almost like you going back as a, like maybe if you were an officer and going back and reading old war manuals of like from World War II and just memoirs of how people fought in different wars. That's just calibrating your intuition and your instincts so that when you go into Afghanistan and you're climbing this mountain, you're not you're, you're using whatever you got to get through because you don't know what the terrain is, but your instinct is much more calibrated from the wisdom of whatever people went through in the same mode. And that kind of gives you that extra push of confidence to know that like whatever you are going to go into is the reason why you train so much before you go to war so that you at least have some instinct of where you want to go and what's your gut like instinct reaction. And that's a lot of what this is, but it's not going to be that one thing that says, where do you go? Where do you charge? Where do you send your troops to? That's still on you. And that's the same thing with fatherhood. It's still on you to make the best choice, a parent to the individual kid. And I liked how you reframed and kind of brought all your advice back to Every kid is different, but yet you can still learn from other people. But at the end of the day, it's your instinct. It's your wisdom that they need to hear and how you apply it in their life. I feel like I am a great dad, but it's not because I learned from other sources. It's just, I'm very adaptable. I think that that's how you be a great dad. You love your kids and you're very adaptable. And in the military, you know, that's also important, right? You guys are veteran. If mostly veterans listening to this, you know that you can have the best plan in the world on a military mission. How many of those have ever gone as planned ever (laughs) in the history of war? None. I would say none. They never go as planned. And I've been on a lot of raids as a, as an army ranger. I'd say none of them went as planned. And there's probably even like, I've heard Mike Tyson say this as well. Like everybody has a plan until they get punched in the face. There it is. You're always going to have a plan as a a dad. You're going to read this book and you're like, I can handle the next tantrum. I got this. And the next tantrum tantrum is like, oh my gosh, I didn't apply that correctly. But again, (laughs) you're learning, you're adapting. And every time you get tested, you're getting an opportunity to improve. And the one thing that I, I hope comes through within your message here is realizing that parenting and kids isn't this permanent thing, that their behavior isn't permanent. It's always evolving. And while this season may be hard, the next season is probably going to be harder. And you're going to wish like the only problem you had was wiping their butt. Or it was much easier when they didn't talk back because I couldn't understand what they said. 
or I could make up what they said because I couldn't understand it. And then it's just always something changing and making sure that you ride that wave. And I've kind of framed my parenting almost as like, ever heard it in like college, as they call it, like teaching to the curve. I've heard like, you almost want to parent to the curve where when you parent to the curve, you're attaching your idea of like, it's not going to be perfect, but I just have to like keep curving towards where I want to go. There's always still learning. And every time I articulate these things, more things come up and I get it shorter and I get a different way. And that's what parenting is. You Every time you try, you articulate it and do it a little bit different and you learn what didn't work and you apply it in new ways. Well, Tony, I really appreciate you coming to the podcast. I appreciate you putting your story in a book so that your kids have this deep wisdom for you to, for them to understand about like what dad went through and connecting them to his own story. And I hope that you're long, long, long along here well long enough to be able to tell them stories from that book as they get older and help like tell them like chapter 10 is what you want to apply when you're 23, something like that. And I really commend you for doing that because not a lot of veterans do. There's a lot of veterans that do publish books, but there's not nearly enough to understand if like, this is something I want to leave my kids. And so I commend you for doing that, taking your time to come here on the podcast and share it. And there'll be a link for everybody to grab that book down in the show notes. And you can grab that on Amazon. And we'll make sure you get all the information for that down in the show notes. Like I said, I don't want to militaryveterandad.com for that information. But Tony, thank you for coming to the podcast tonight. Thank you very much for having me. And I hope, I hope someone out there got a little piece of advice or some insight of what they needed to focus on as a dad. Because honestly, this was one of the, my favorite uh, podcasts that I've been able to come on because I'm a military veteran. And I pride myself in being a good dad. I don't really care if I'm that good at anything else. As long as I'm a good dad, that's what matters to me. So thanks for having me. Thank you. Thank you for listening to today's episode. This episode, I really hoped got you connected to a deeper journey of how your military service has more to do with fatherhood than you think. And really, that is my big takeaway. My big takeaway is understanding on a much deeper level, on a much special operations level, where we often don't think we have a lot in common with these areas of life. But Dr. Tony Brooks really outlays a great analogy of what it's like to go into no man's land with a mission, but then also how relatable that is to fatherhood. And we often think that these two are separate, that who I am on the battlefield, where I am going, what I'm trying to accomplish is so different and that I can't apply those same set of skills as a dad at home to the point where we often feel so insecure within our fatherhood story. We don't feel comfortable being a dad because we don't have that same type of training to be effective when we're on the battlefield. But what Dr. Tony Brooks outlines in this episode is that dichotomy that while it is different, it is more alike than we believe. And I hope that it also kind of outlined a modality of healing for whatever story you have, maybe like Dr. Tony Brooks, of how there is a way through it that may have not been perfectly clear before. Guys, have an amazing week. Move back again. We'll talk to you on Friday.